This is the Sunshine Bridge. Here we highlight the work of those working to make their community here in Louisiana better and have conversations to share and understand the different perspectives of the people who live and work in the state. Thanks for hitting play. I'm Elizabeth Eads. A couple of episodes ago, I talked with the great folks at Volunteers in Public Schools Baton Rouge, or VIPS, BR. And we had a really great discussion about teaching kids to read, which left me wondering about adult literacy. So I got in touch with who better than adult literacy advocates here in Baton Rouge, which is very close to the main library, if you didn't know. And it was Gary Robertson, their executive director with whom I spoke, and he had so much to share about his experience teaching reading to adults. We work with adults 18 and over who need to improve their literacy skills, whether it's working on basic reading or preparing to take their high set test to earn their equivalency diploma or somewhere in between. We also have a program where we work with students who, for whom English is not their native language, our ESL program. Okay. English is a second language. How many students would you say um, are in the ESL versus just people who are coming in? Right now, I would say about 40% of our students are ESL in our ESL program, about 60% in our, our other programs. What is your, um, I guess, what is your experience with illiteracy in Louisiana, especially like at the adult level? Because, you know, I've been talking with the people at Vips Baton Rouge. They're talking to me about, you know, childhood literacy and encouraging that. Do you know any kind of statistics or any of that, how that, how that looks in, in Louisiana and Baton Rouge here on the ground? Kind of what's your experience? One of the issues with statistics is several different agencies do them or organizations will do them. And so you have to look at, okay, they said this and someone else said this and kind of figure out where where it really needs, it hits. Nationally, the estimate is that there are probably around 15% of adults who are are have literacy issues right. okay whether that's basic reading skills or new number skills you know numeracy issues around 15 percent are and the way they'll define define have issues with it is they're at about a sixth grade level or below okay. in the state that number increases to about 18 19 percent somewhere between 18 and 20. Right. In parish-wide here in East Baton Rouge, it increases still more. So it's figures in East Baton Rouge I've seen as high as 25, as low as 23. So somewhere in between there. Is there any kind of um, discrepancy, I guess, between rural and urban areas? Is that one of the reasons why maybe there's, do you have any, I guess maybe is there any sort of reasoning why you think maybe there's more in East Baton Rouge Parish versus the rest of the state? Well, I don't know that we're, I don't, I don't think we are the highest in the state in terms of adults lacking literacy skills. I think there are, there are other areas that are higher than us. Um, and I'm, I'm not quite sure how the, the, the rural, rural versus urban comes into play. I'm sure there's an impact there. Right. One of the biggest indicators is the, the impact of a family on a child's literacy level. 
Um, it is not unusual for us to have students coming in whose parents also did not complete high school and dropped out at some point. Um, we see that over and over again. And studies have shown that the, one of the biggest indicators of a student's potential to attain that high school equivalency diploma or that, that graduation rate is going to be what they're learning at home. And their, their, their parents' emphasis on that, their parents' help with them, helping them with their reading skills and moving along. You see a lot of cyclical issues that come into play there. Okay. And one of the things we do is we, when students come to us, we ask them why they left school when they did. And the, the answers have been very surprising. Really? Like what kind of answers do you get? I come from an education background. I taught high school for 26 years and retired and then began, got into adult education. Mm-hmm. So just the, the common thing you assume and that many people I speak with will assume is just, well, they just, they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to put forth the effort. They didn't want to try. It got too hard or something and that was just the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that does happen for some. And they will be, they are very honest about it when tell me, they'll say, oh, I just, I screwed around. I messed up. I didn't take it seriously. But that really ends up being a small percentage. The majority of them have stories that are as different as they are. You have students coming in who left school because they were the only child in the single parent family. As one told me, I was a junior in high school, my mom had cancer and was dying and somebody had to go out and get a job. Right. There was nobody but me. Others will say they were the oldest and needed their their parent needed help with with bringing in some extra money to take care of the younger siblings and they did that. I have some who have left because a job opportunity opened up. I remember distinctly one uh, guy who came in, he was early 20s, dropped out of school midway through his senior year. And I go, why? You, you, were so like, close. You, you were like one semester away. And it wasn't because of poor grades or anything like that. He said, it's really kind of simple. He said, my dad was in the military. By the time I was in the 12th grade, I had been to nine different schools, starting new each time. And I just didn't have it in me to do it a tenth time. Wow. And that's why he left. Uh-huh. And and you and I can sit and, and say, oh, man, you should have stayed. You should have, you know, it would have been worth it. But for him at that time, that was what he needed to do. Right. And they will admit to you, they admit, everyone will say, I should have stayed. I should have done it. And it, it, it doesn't do any good to go over the issues as to you know, to browbeat them over why you did or didn't. That's not the reality now. So we kind of take them where they are now and say, okay, let's see where we can go to make things better. Yeah, that's kind of, uh, you know, I mean, like if I think of all the things that I did or should have done in high school or, you know, around that age or something, I could come up with a list for sure. Yeah, we we all (laughs) all, could. We all could. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, And then if you look back, like if you were to, 
take me and put me in a time machine and send me back there, I'm, I'm sure that there were circumstances for each and every one of us that, well, there's a reason why it happened that way. <laughs> yeah, it, that's, that's it. We had our reasons and, and situations that came up that looking back on it, you know, from, you know, hindsight being 2020, we right. go, I should have just done this differently <laughs> or whatever. And, and the same with them. But it's, and I have some of our older students who were growing up in very rural areas and have told me they were part of a large family. And it, by the time they were in third or fourth grade, it was time for them to leave school and help their father in, in the fields with whatever crops they were raising yeah. to help with that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they left and never went back. That's that's kind of wild because you start to hear what some of, I guess, the source problems are. And it, there does sound like there is kind of this common theme of there was some family stuff going on. I had to deal with that. You can't deal with the school and family at the same time. One thing had to give or another thing had to give. And at the same time, your organization really needs to focus on the one thing, which is the reading. I guess are there are there any any sorts of things that that you guys do or try to do to support any of the source stuff or or how does that kind of work and kind of come to to play with you guys? We're really not equipped to deal with the the source the source issues that are there. There are other agencies that are better equipped and more knowledgeable in dealing with those. We can kind of identify them. If, you know, some issues come up and our students will come to us and talk about different things, issues that are coming up, you know, who should I speak to about this or whatever. And we, our policy is we never give them specific advice or recommendations on what to do. We will refer them to other agencies and say, okay, here's who you can call. One of the ones that we use most often is we refer them to the 211 number that United Way has. United Way, yeah. And say, okay, they will be able to tell you who you can get in touch with. Hmm. Because I want us to deal with the issues that we feel qualified to deal with and then let someone else handle those others. But we need to, we try to put them in touch with the people they need to get in touch with. Okay. What is the age group that you usually wind up having? The majority of our students, I would say, are late 20s through late 30s. Okay. If we were going to look at a, a curve on them, most of them are fitting in that that area. We get some who are at the upper range. Um, we get some who come in at, you know, 18, 19. What brings somebody in from the upper range? You know, because I would think that by the time you're a little bit older, you say, well, this is, this is what I know. This is what I'm going to... You know, we have some, and we have a special class for them. We call it our senior scholars group, uh-huh. where it's for people fifty-five and older. They're not interested in getting their equivalency diploma. In fact, some of them already have diplomas. But as one guy, one of them told me, he said, um, when he was going through school, it was many years ago. He said, "I was good at sports. They passed me. They gave me a diploma. Nobody cared whether I could read or not. I was wondering that. I was thinking, how can you pass high school if you are having literacy issues? And that's how, exactly how it happened. And so <laughs> he comes in. It says a lot about, about our priorities. Uh, it, it does. <laughs> yeah. And, and he is, you know, he, he is older. He's in his 60s now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just wanted to read. He wanted to be able to do it. And he, it's been a long, a long process for him. 
Um, but he gets really excited. He is one of the ones who a year or so ago spoke to one of our instructors and he said he was so excited because he was finally able to read his own bills when they came through in the mail oh. and handle them himself instead of having to depend on someone else to do it for him. It's really nuts because, you know, when you when you when a person is an adult and is having literacy issues, it's kind of amazing just how much compensation can kind of happen for you know, if a person can't really read very well, absolutely. there's, um, you know, and, and I, I've personally known some people in my life that, you know, and I go, I, I didn't learn so much later that they didn't know how to read. And I go, wow, I never, the, you know, really whip smart, you know, whip smart for, for getting around some other stuff too. And the, that compensation really. The, the methods and techniques they've come up with to compensate for that are just amazing and it's one of the things I tell them frequently if I get one who says oh I'm just I, I'm, I'm dumb or I just can't learn I go no no yeah <laughs> if you were smart enough to be able to figure out how to do that you're very intelligent right it's just we just need to teach you these things right. we had one student uh, one of our seniors um, was he was in his 80s and if you watched him with the newspaper you would not have a clue that he couldn't read he would like look at you know look at an art look at it for a while and maybe you know turn a few pages kind of rapidly and then stop and pause and look again and he was basically looking at the pictures and seeing what was there he wasn't really able to read anything Mm -hmm. but he had watched people read the newspaper and saw how they did it in terms of you know the speed and the uh-huh. the techniques they used and that's what he did wow wow i wonder how much he he picks up from the pictures surprisingly enough he many times could figure out a good bit of what was going on wow that's really cool yeah. um so when someone is an adult and and you are trying to teach them how to read how do you how do you go about it because it's really different from teaching a kid i would assume one of the challenges that we have with taking adults from all different age groups is through the years as they've been in school, different eras have been exposed to different methods of teaching. There are those who came along about the time I did in elementary school in the, the 60s where it was all phonics-based. So we've got some of them who know their sounds. Mm -hmm. They're not able to put them together in words, but they know their sounds. We have others, younger ones who came along in later eras where whole reading. This is like sight words or something, right? Right, where they would just, the idea was you get them to read and they have much more, they're better at at sight word recognition. Okay. They look at words and they can recognize it in terms of like a new word and sounding it out, not so much as someone who has the phonics. So we've got, in the classes, we have a blend of some who learn through kind of more phonetically, some who learn with sight reading. And so we just kind of have to work and blend it together and figure out, all right, let's let's make it work and figure out what's going to work best for everyone. Okay. What is, yeah, what, what in your experience works 
better or do you have a preference because you're telling me you know the people who learned with phonics they can they can sound a different word out but someone who learned more reading on site if they run into something they don't recognize it's a bit more troublesome so it sounds like sounds like phonics is better but it sounds like that's not where things are leaning at the moment if you had asked me before I ever got involved with this I would have said oh absolutely phonics that's how I learned to read that's the best way uh-huh after working with people who have learned it through the whole reading idea and, and getting their sight words down, I can see advantages to that for them. And so... What are the advantages? They're able... In some cases, they're more fluent because they recognize the words and can and just read it, along rapidly. Because it right. pops that quick. But then when, you hit, when they hit a different word or a word they don't recognize, then they're, they're, they have an issue there. Uh, where someone who has more of a phonetical approach will be able to, in most cases, sound it out and figure out what they're going to do. Where I used to be a total yeah, phonics all the way, I could see where the benefits came in from doing the whole reading approach. It sounds almost like there's a greater dependency on the dictionary if you're doing the sight thing. Like maybe you have to know, you actually have to know what the word is. You have to be, you actually have to be familiar. You have to dive into the reference of what what yes. that word is yes. in the dictionary. Yeah. And also not having been a language arts instructor, especially at the lower grades, I've kind of had to learn a lot of that as I've gone along too. And I don't I don't claim to be an expert by any means. What did you teach when you taught? When I taught I taught high school social studies in English. Okay. So I was doing some language arts, but it was more higher level. I was dealing with the juniors and the seniors in the high school level. Yeah. So in terms of like working with the lower grade levels where you're actually teaching them these things, I didn't, I've had to depend on a lot of the instructors I've had who have worked with them and the research they've done. And a lot of it is trial and error. And a lot of it ends up being what works with that individual student. So while I was talking with Vips, you know, when you're working with kids, there, there are like all these little games that you can kind of play and Learning to read as a child is is one of these things where you can make a game out of anything. Do you do games, you know, or is it just you sit, you sit with the book? How do you pick the book? You know, what kind of books are appropriate? We try to do a blend. Okay, there are some series of reading instructions that are put out by different places. Uh, one of the ones we use is from a place called New Readers Press, and they are geared toward the different levels with different activities in there. You can work, kind of work your way through it with them. Um, there's some reading, some vocabulary, some phonics as you move along. We also, um, in every class, we try at some point to bring, we'll find a book that's at their level just to get them reading and kind of do it as a class section where we read it together. I think you'd have to be really interested in what you're going to read if you're going to read it at all. So like a Dick and Jane book isn't going to hold. No, no. And that's one of the critical things we do. And one of the foremost things is we don't teach down to our students. We don't give them little kid activities Mm -hmm. or materials to read because I, I just we just we're just not going to do that right we, so, we think it's kind of demeaning to them of course yeah so, so we make sure and when you start looking into it there are 
hundreds of things out there that are designed for adults with low-level reading skills. Okay. What that are the topics usually? There could be there there will be topics about you know things that happen at work. There could be family issues, um, you know, or, or family situations that that are described, or you know, travel or descriptions of places. We we can find things. Just about any topic area okay. that we want to go with. Okay. And we we use those in many cases to give them some content instruction in other areas. I'll give you one example that I use right now. I am filling in and teaching the high set class temporarily. Um, and as you know, the high set is the the new GED. Okay. Um, you the end result is the same. You get your equivalency diploma, but the test you have to pass to get that is called the high set now instead of the GED. GED is still used in some states. Louisiana changed over, I think, 2014. Um, one of the things I like to use with my high set students, they're, they're called everyday edits. You can find them. There's an online site that does them. And they're, they'll do, for each month, there will be like 15 or 20 different ones. It's a short paragraph. Uh, some of them about science, some about history, some about geography. And the, the basic format is there are 10 errors in this paragraph or in this selection. Grammar, punctuation, usage, capitalization, whatever. The idea is you go through try to find the 10 errors and correct them. It's good in that it gives us a little bit of language arts practice with them on the grammar and stuff without, as I say, without beating them over the head with it. We can go through and talk, okay, let's talk about this. This is why you would do this here. And then we talk about it and we move on. But then it's a way of bringing content in. Uh, I did one last week that was on, um, on the seasons and how we were entering into the winter season and how, you know, why why we have seasons and how to, the tilt of the earth impacts that. And so we did a little science and geography with that because there's no way that we're going to be able to teach them everything they need to know about, say, history or science to prepare for their high set. But a lot of what they get is going to be using skills. So we work with them on developing these skills, reading charts, reading graphs, reading this paragraph and remembering what it's about so you can answer those questions. And then given those little content areas, bringing that into to keep it interesting. Okay. And then, so how long does it take? How long does it take for for the course to, to go through, for a student to complete a course? That is probably the question I get asked most often by potential students. <laughs> they go, how long will it take? And I will tell you what I tell them. It all depends. Mm. Our, our courses, we have continuous enrollment so that we don't have a specific start-stop time like a semester or anything like that. The reason we do that is because for some students, even people in their 30s and 40s, it takes every last bit of courage they have to come in and admit they need to do this. And for them to do that and then for me to say, oh, that's great, we will have a spot for you next semester. I'll, you know, just hang tight for two months and I'll let you know. The likelihood of them coming back is going to be slim. So we take them in as soon as we can and get them started. So as soon as somebody says, hey, I just need help reading, you say, great, come right on in. Exactly. 
we get them started and we start doing it. It is difficult for the instructors because you've got a class, you know, you've been moving your class along doing things and all of a sudden, boom, here's the new person that you're kind of, some cases, starting from scratch with, but it works out. We're able to make it work and keep it going. How do the students interact with each other? I would imagine they probably try and help each other out. They are. They are amazingly helpful with each other. That That is one of the things that warms your heart to see them <laughs> just helping each other. And, and it, at all levels, they will do it. And so we just, we, we bring them in, we get them started, and they, back to your original point about how long it takes, once we get them started, it all depends on how consistent they are with being able to come to class, how far they went when they were in school, and how, how much time do they have outside of class to do some independent work. Um, how consistent they are about coming. It's, they need to be here every class period if possible so that they can keep the continuity going. For some of them, it's difficult. You know, they will have sick kids, their work schedules will change, and we understand that. If it's a student in their 20s who has no, no children, has a job situation where it's pretty much a regular schedule, and they, they have the time to do it, they can move through fairly quickly. But if I've got like a single mom who has like full-time day job and has four kids at home that she's taking care of, it's not going to happen as quickly. And I try to be very honest with them when they come in and talk about it. Because one of the hurdles they have to face is some will come up with an expectation, oh, I can get this done in six weeks or six months. And I go, you got to be realistic. And we talk about it. And they kind of go, I said, you just, the big thing is you just don't give up. You keep trying. Is it the high set test? That's what says, okay, I'm done and I don't need to come back anymore. Right. Uh, for the ones who aren't even trying to do the high set test, you know, the seniors, how do you determine, okay, for the it's sen- done? For the seniors, we just, again, have that continuous class going on. We try to continue to give them something to practice on with their reading when they come through. Um, one of the things that we've been very fortunate with is the advocate has allowed us to participate in their newspapers and education program. So we get newspapers delivered um, nice. each day. We have classes that our students can use. And especially, it's especially helpful with our basic and our senior students because it's, it's a practical thing for them to do. And in some cases, something as simple as teaching them how to read the weather, weather forecast, you know, where it is and this is how you read it and we're going to check that out. Or one of the things we learned early on we don't assume anything. You assume, well, they're going to, students will know how to put something in alphabetical order. Not necessarily. Yeah. Or we assume you're going to know how to find, like, you know, in the newspaper, section A or section B. I would say, well, it's in, section, it's in the B section, the third page. And they don't have a clue that it's arranged in sections. So you go, okay, let's talk about that and work through it. Yeah. And it's great when we have students who, move through the program, pass all five parts of their high set test. They've got their equivalency diploma. Many of them we see move on into jobs or into college. Several of ours are currently attending BRCC. That's got to be really exciting to see That's that. exciting, but it's also exciting when it's the basic student who comes in all excited and says, and this is a 
40-year-old man. I was driving the other day, and I passed by a sign that said, Tom Drive, and I read the sign. I knew it was Tom Drive because I travel it, but I looked at that sign, and I could read the words. Right. That's exciting, too. You know, that is kind of a funny thing because if if I were to try to imagine what it might be like to have a literacy issue or, you know, to just struggle in that arena... I would I would picture it as being in some sort of foreign country where yeah I recognize it's a stop sign because you know you know what a stop sign looks like and it has some funny squiggly marks on there that probably says stop but that's probably about as far as it goes so there there are there are certain markers throughout the world that you kind of know and they're a little bit universal and you have an idea of what it is you know when you go to McDonald's that well, I mean, McDonald's has the has the pictures of the menu, and right. and you you've had a Big Mac, so you know what a Big Mac is. You can just go up there, and you know, no one even reads the menu when they go to McDonald's. So, you know, you can kind of navigate in all of these other kind of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's strange the idea of it, it unclouding suddenly. It, it is, and it's. I'm constantly amazed at how much. I still take for granted. Um, I'll give you one good story. I This has been about five years ago when our office, we were located downtown. And I had a student who had scheduled an appointment to come in. We do an intake interview and a placement test to get an idea of what level they're on as they come in. And she called asking for clarification on the directions, and I told her. She called back twice more, and I told her again. And, you know, she's running by this time almost an hour late. And I'm getting a little frustrated here. And so she calls again and asks one more time about how to get there. And I ask, I said, okay, I said, tell me where you are and I will tell you how to get here. And she said, well, I'm on a corner. I said, well, which corner? She goes, well, there's a greenhouse here. I said, y- y- I, yeah, I know there's a greenhouse, but what did the street sign say? I said, which streets are you on? And she's got quiet for a second. She goes, I don't know. I can't read them. Right, yeah. And I felt about an inch tall at that point. Oh, yeah. Because I was getting all cut up, and she's trying to find her way around, and she can't even read a street sign. And so luckily, the more she described the stuff around me, and I said, if, tell me if there's a store there you can see. And there was. And when she told me that, I go, okay, here's what you do. And we worked right. it through. But it's it's one of the things, having grown up in a family where – reading was emphasized and we learned early and our whole family read it was like it was not unusual for us to spend Sunday afternoons everybody singing around reading that's just that's what we did sure. to think about not being able to do that it just I, I, it's almost incomprehensible for me so now we have smartphones how do you think that will have kind of an impact on things? Because there's so much that you can do. Like that situation, at a certain point in time, um, you can find that to be a really disconcerting, really kind of a frightening situation for her maybe. But today, I don't even have to, all I have to do is just hit the microphone on, on my smartphone and say, adult literacy advocates, and it takes me there. I did that actually as I came here. <laughs> and I think for some of them that that is a good thing and they they're able to do that. But what we have also found over the last several years is many of our students have smartphones 
but aren't really sure how to use them other than just make your basic phone call. And the way we we found out about that is we always ask them to put their phones on silent or vibrate. One student uh, in the seniors class, his phone continually was going off and we'd always have to ask him, you know, turn, turn, turn the volume down or turn the, the ringer off. And finally one day he said, how do I do that? And that's when we realized he doesn't know. Or we would say, now you can look this up, you know, a, a website or something. You can look it up on your phone. And we would watch. Nobody was really sure even how to go about getting on onto the internet with their phone to check mm-hmm. things. So we've we've tried to work with them on that in terms of what their level is and show them just a few things. With the amount of media consumption that there is today, you're right. You know, to hear, okay, we have a smartphone now. Big deal. I don't. I don't need the smartphone. You know, I don't. I don't need to know directions in the same way that somebody. I can. I can just use the GPS, and it's no big deal. At the same time, it's not just television and radio that people are consuming. There is an awful lot of reading consumption that happens much more than happened before. Now, a lot of messages. You can't get away without text messaging at this exactly. point. You can't get away with uh, without a uh, well. I mean, maybe you could with with the microphone and the uh, the read to speech to text or whatever function. But outside of that, you really do have to. You have emails. You have um, yeah. There's all sorts of stuff that that's out there. Just if I want to look up something, Wikipedia, you know. Right. And even, you know, for some of them, especially some of our older ones, you know, getting text messages from their pharmacies or their doctor's offices or whatever, you know, there are there are those things coming up. And we have them asking us, you know, can you tell me what this says? And we we, we don't really like to get involved into their medical issues, whatever. We, we just kind of feel like that's a privacy issue for them. But we try to help them as best we can, showing, okay, there you go, and Here's who you can ask about this. Do you think with more cell phone use that maybe there's a greater impetus to to come in? Do you think that more more students want to come in because of this? You know, have you ever seen I guess have you ever seen any kind of fluctuation in in people coming up and do you have any kind of reason why you think maybe that's the case? I I haven't really seen any correlation between it, you know, the you know, increased availability of their their cell phones and, and smartphone use to to coming in. Um, our our numbers stay. We show some years we'll show increases, others they'll they'll dip a little bit, but by and large they stay fairly static. Um, and part of that is with just logistically the the numbers of students that we're able to provide services for. Um, it's you know, it gets back to the online. We're nonprofits, so financially, there's only so much we can do with the money that we have, and so we try to, to stretch it as best we can. Um, but in terms of, of students calling us and coming in, I don't really have haven't seen that correlation with the with the, with the rise in the you know smartphone usage and that kind of stuff. Okay, just curious. Yeah, yeah. Um, COVID. Have you seen anything a change with COVID? Or how did, it, had, how did it affect you guys, really, maybe a better way to ask? Throughout it all, my basic outlook has been I would rather err on the side of caution. 
I'd rather look back at it and say, oh, we did too much. We didn't really have to do all that than to look at it and say, oh, God, we didn't do anything. We didn't do enough. So, and then people got sick and, and then terrible things sick, happened, yeah. right? Yeah. I'd rather I'd rather be no, I'd rather be known for that than the other. <laughs> Understand. If somebody does want to come in, if somebody wants to donate to you guys, if somebody wants to just support you in any other way, how can people go about that? Absolutely. Um, first, if someone wants to come in, is interested, they just need to give us a call. Our numbers list 383-1090, area two two five. Um, the odds are I'm going to be the one who answers the phone and we set up appointments for them to come in and for that intake interview and the placement test. And that's for whether it's basic ed or whether they're working for high set prep or want to get into our ESL program. And then once we have that done, then we, we get them into our classes and, and get them going. If someone's interested in volunteering, give us a call, go to our website, send us an email. There's a link. It's info at adultliteracyadvocates.org easy to find and if someone wishes to donate we always accept donations we appreciate it and um on our website adultliteracyadvocates.org we have a donate now button and we appreciate any donation that we get and i will be honest about it the donations that come in that are substantial we definitely appreciate those but I also appreciate those people, and we've had several do this, who they are monthly donors to us, and they donate $5 every month. And over the course of a year, that adds up. It's enough for us to be able to do something with. And for me, it's very humbling that they think enough of us and what we do to give us that kind of support. And so... Anything anyone does, it's it's greatly appreciated. And we basically our our, our biggest expense is our instructor salaries because that's what we do. We we provide <laughs> instruction. Um, I was asked that one time about well, you know, why do you spend so much on salaries? I go because. That's what you have to spend it on is if you're if you're if you're teaching. So we do that and we we continue to offer in person instruction. There are other agencies in town who offer the virtual instruction. There are some who do more of an independent where the students are working, you know, online themselves or out of the a textbook themselves and just kind of call someone over if they have an issue or, or need some help. And I always tell anyone who asks me about that, if that method works for you, that's fine. But if that doesn't work and you need a small group learning environment with a teacher, with an instruction there, that's what we offer. And that's where we come in and can kind of fill in that that niche. That's where you guys come in. Exactly. And have been around... um, this past November was our 55th anniversary, our 55th birthday. Congratulations. We have been around since 1966. That's amazing. So um, we, we hope we're going to be around for another 55. <laughs> for sure. Gary Robertson, Director of uh, Adult Literacy Advocates, thank you so much again for stopping by and talking with me today. Thank you, Elizabeth. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to The Sunshine Bridge. 
At the beginning of the show, Gary gave me a few statistics about literacy rates, and we were mostly having a casual chat, but I did go back and confirm his numbers. They were about right. The percentage I found at worldpopulationreview.com showed about 84% of Louisiana as literate, which leaves about 16% in the state as struggling with literacy. So the numbers he gave were what I also found online. This show is only a couple of months old, so if you have questions or comments, please email the show at thesunshinebridge at gmail.com. Show music is by Arnav Srivastav. Special thanks for this show goes to Jessica. Thanks for all of the fun reads. I'm Elizabeth Eads. Thanks again. Thanks again.